Section 32 of A Woman's Journey Round the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Nater. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter 18. Mesopotamia, Baghdad, and Babylon. Part 2. Not far from the ruins stands a plain mosque, which holds the tomb of Salaman Pak. This man was a friend of Mohammed's, and is, on that account, honored as a saint. I was not allowed to enter the mosque, and was obliged to content myself with looking in through the open door. I saw only a tomb built of bricks, surrounded by a wooden lattice, painted green. I had already observed a number of tents along the banks of the Tigris, on first reaching the ruins. My curiosity induced me to visit them, where I found everything the same as among the desert Arabs, except that the people were not so savage and rough. I could have passed both day and night among them without apprehension. This might be from my having been accustomed to such scenes. A much more agreeable visit was before me. While I was amusing myself among the dirty Arabs, a Persian approached, who pointed to a pretty tent which was pitched at a short distance from us, and said a few words to me. My guide explained to me that a Persian prince lived in this tent, and that he had politely invited me by this messenger. I accepted the invitation with great pleasure, and was received in a very friendly manner by the prince, who was named Il-Hani Alakuli Mirza. The prince was a handsome young man, and said that he understood French, but we soon came to a stop with that, as his knowledge of it did not extend beyond Vous parlez Francais. Luckily, one of his people had a better acquaintance with English, and so we were able to carry on some conversation. The interpreter explained to me that the prince resided in Baghdad, but on account of the oppressive heat he had taken up his residence here for some time. He was seated upon a low divan, under an open tent, and his companions reclined upon carpets. To my surprise he had sufficient politeness to offer me a seat by his side upon the divan. Our conversation soon became very animated, and his astonishment when I related to him my travels increased with every word. While we were talking, a nargile of most singular beauty was placed before me. It was made of light blue enamel on gold, ornamented with pearls, turquoises, and precious stones. For politeness' sake I took a few puffs from it. Tea and coffee were also served, and afterwards the prince invited me to dinner. A white cloth was spread upon the ground, and flat cakes of bread, instead of plates, laid upon it. An exception was made for me, as I had a plate and knife and fork. The dinner consisted of a number of dishes of meat, among which was a whole lamb with a head, which did appear very inviting. Besides these, several pilaus and a large roast fish. Between the eatables stood bowls of curds and whey, and sherbet. In each bowl was a large spoon. The lamb was carved by a servant with a knife and the hand. He distributed the parts among the guests, placing a piece upon the cake of bread before each one. They ate with their right hand. Most of them tore off small morsels of meat or fish, dipped them in one of the pilaus, kneaded them into a bowl, and put them into their mouths. Some, however, ate the fat dishes without pilau. After each mouthful, they wiped off the fat, which ran over their fingers, on the bread. They drank a great deal while eating, all using the same spoons. At the conclusion of the meal, the prince, in spite of the strict prohibition of wine, ordered some to be brought my presence serving as an excuse. He then poured out a glass for me, and drank a couple himself, 
one to my health and one to his own. When I told him that I intended to go to Persia, and in particular to Tehran, he offered to give me a letter to his mother, who was at court, and under whose protection I could be introduced there. He wrote immediately, using his knee for want of a table, and pressed his signet ring upon the letter, and gave it to me, but told me laughingly not to say anything to his mother about his having drank wine. After mealtime I asked the prince whether he would allow me to pay a visit to his wife. I had already learned that one of his wives was with him. My request was granted, and I was led immediately into a building, near which had formerly been a small mosque. I was here received in a cool, arched apartment by a remarkably handsome young creature. She was the most beautiful of all the women I had ever yet seen in harems. Her figure, of middling proportions, was most exquisitely symmetrical. Her features were noble and truly classical, and her large eyes had a melancholy expression. The poor thing was alone here, and had no society but an old female servant and a young gazelle. Her complexion, probably not quite natural, was of dazzling whiteness, and a delicate red tinted her cheeks. Her eyebrows only, in my opinion, were very much deformed by art. They were in the form of a dark blue streak, an inch wide, which extended in two connected curves from one temple to the other, and gave the face a somewhat dark and very uncommon appearance. The principal hairs were not dyed. Her hands and arms, however, were slightly tattooed. She explained to me that this shocking operation was performed upon her when she was only a child, a custom which is also practiced by the Mahomedan women in Baghdad. The dress of this beauty was like that of the women in the Pasha's harem, but instead of the small turban she wore a white muslin cloth, lightly twisted round the head, which she could also draw over her face as a veil. Our conversation was not very lively, as the interpreter was not allowed to follow me into the sanctum. We were therefore obliged to content ourselves with making signs and looking at each other. When I returned to the prince, I expressed to him my wonder at the rare beauty of his young wife, and asked him what country was the cradle of this true angel. He told me the north of Persia, and assured me at the same time that his other wives, of whom he had four in Baghdad and four in Tehran with his mother, very much excelled this one in beauty. When I would have taken my leave of the prince to return home, he proposed to me that I should remain a little while longer and hear some Persian music. Two minstrels presently appeared, one of whom had a kind of mandolin with five strings, the other was a singer. The musician preluded very well, played European as well as Persian melodies, and handled his instrument with great facility. The singer executed roulades, and, unfortunately, his voice was neither cultivated nor pure but he seldom gave false notes, and they both kept good time. The Persian music and songs had considerable range of notes and variations in the melody. I had not heard anything like them for a long time. I reached home safely before sunset, and did not feel very much fatigued, either by the ride of thirty-six miles, the terrible heat, or the wandering about on foot. Only two days afterwards I set out on my road to the ruins of the city of Babylon, the district in which these ruins lie is called Isaac Arabia, and is the seat of the ancient Babylonia and Chaldea. I rode the same evening twenty miles as far as the Han Assad. The palms and fruit trees gradually decreased in number, the cultivated ground grew less and less, and the desert spread itself before me, deadening all pleasure and animation. Here and there grew some low herbage scarcely sufficient for the frugal camel. 
even this ceases a few miles before coming to assad and from thence to hilla the desert appeared uninterruptedly in its sad and uniform nakedness we passed the place where the town of borosippa formerly stood and where it is said that a pillar of nurkwan's palace is yet to be seen but i could not discover it anywhere although the whole desert lay open before me and a bright sunset afforded abundance of light i therefore contented myself with the place and did not on that account remember with less enthusiasm the great alexander here at the last scene of his actions when he was warned not to enter babylon again instead of the pillar i saw the ruins of one large and several smaller canals the large one formerly united the euphrates with the tigris and the whole served for irrigating the land the thirty-first of may i had never seen such numerous herds of camels as i did to-day there might possibly have been more than seven thousand or eight thousand as most of them were unloaded and carried only a few tents or women and children it was probably the wandering of a tribe in search of a more fruitful dwelling-place among this enormous number i saw only a few camels that were completely white these are very highly prized by the arabians indeed almost honoured as superior beings when i first saw the immense herd of these long-legged animals appearing in the distant horizon they looked like groups of small trees and i felt agreeably surprised to meet with vegetation in this endless wilderness but the wood like that in shakespeare's macbeth shortly advanced towards us and the stems changed into legs and the crowns into bodies i also observed a species of bird to-day to which i was a complete stranger it resembled in color and size the small green papagien called parochets except that its beak was rather less crooked and thick it lives like the earth mouse in small holes in the ground i saw flocks of them at two of the most barren places in the desert when there was no trace of a blade of grass to be discovered far and wide towards ten o'clock in the morning we halted for two hours only at khan nasri as i was resolved to reach hilla to-day the heat rose above one hundred and thirty-four degrees fahrenheit but a hot wind that continually accompanied us was still more unbearable and drove whole clouds of hot sand into the face we frequently passed half-ruined canals during the day the huns upon this road are amongst the best and the most secure that i have ever met with from the exterior they resemble small fortresses a high gateway leads into a large courtyard which is surrounded on all sides by broad handsome halls built with thick brick walls in the halls there are niches arranged in rows each one being large enough to serve three or four persons as a resting place before the niches but also under the halls are the places for the cattle in the courtyard a terrace is also built five feet high for sleeping in the hot summer nights there are likewise a number of rings and posts for the cattle in the court where they can be in the open air during the night these hands are adapted for whole caravans and will contain as many as five hundred travellers together with animals and baggage they are erected by the government but more frequently by wealthy people who hope by such means to procure a place in heaven ten or twelve soldiers are appointed to each han as a guard the gates are closed in the evening travellers do not pay anything for staying at these places some arabian families generally live outside the hands or even in them and they supply the place of host and furnish travellers with camel's milk bread coffee and sometimes also with camel's or goat's flesh 
i found the camel's milk rather disagreeable but the flesh is so good that i thought it had been cow beef and was greatly surprised when my guide told me that it was not when travellers are furnished with a pasha's firman letter of recommendation they can procure one or more mounted soldiers all the soldiers at the hands have horses to accompany them through dangerous places and at times of disturbances i had such a firman and made use of it at night in the afternoon we approached the town of hilla which now occupies a part of the space where babylon formerly stood beautiful woods of date trees indicated from afar the inhabited country but intercepted our view of the town four miles from hilla we turned off the road to the right and shortly found ourselves between enormous mounds of fallen walls and heaps of bricks the arabs call these ruins mujalibe the largest of these mounds of bricks and rubbish are two thousand one hundred and ten feet in circumference and one hundred and forty-one feet in height babylon as it is known was one of the greatest cities in the world with respect to its founder there are various opinions some say ninus others belus others semiramis etc it is said that at the building of the city about two thousand years before the birth of christ two million of workmen and all the architects and artificers of the then enormous syrian empire were employed the city walls are described as having been one hundred and fifty feet high and twenty feet thick the city was defended by two hundred and fifty towers it was closed by a hundred brazen gates and its circumference was sixty miles it was separated into two parts by the euphrates on each bank stood a beautiful palace and the two were united by an artistic bridge and even a tunnel was constructed by the queen semiramis but the greatest curiosities were the temples of belus and the hanging gardens the tower of the temple was ornamented with three colossal figures made of pure gold and representing gods the hanging gardens one of the seven wonders of the world are ascribed to nebuchadnezzar who is said to have built them at the wish of his wife emitis six hundred and thirty years before christ the babylonian empire was at the highest point of its magnificence at this time it was conquered by the chaldeans it was afterwards subject in succession to the persians osmans tartars and others until the year a d sixteen thirty seven since which time it has remained under the osman government the temple of belus or baal was destroyed by xerxes and alexander the great would have restored it but as it would have required ten thousand men for two months others say two years merely to remove the rubbish he did not attempt it one of the palaces is described as having been the residence of the king the other a castle unfortunately they are so fallen to decay that they afford no means of forming a satisfactory opinion even to antiquarians it is supposed however that the ruins called mujalibe are the remains of the castle another large heap of ruins is situated about the mile distant called el kasir according to some the temple of baal stood here according to others the royal palace massive fragments of walls and columns are still to be seen and in a hollow a lion in dark gray granite of such a size that at some distance i took it for an elephant it is very much damaged and to judge from what remains does not appear to have been the work of a great artist the mortar is of extraordinary hardness it is easier to break the bricks themselves than to separate them from it the bricks of all the ruins are partly yellow and partly red a foot long nearly as broad and half an inch thick in the ruins of el kasir stands a solitary tree which belongs to a species of firs which is quite unknown in this district 
the arabs called it atale and consider it sacred there are said to be several of the same kind near bushir they are there called goz or guz many writers see something very extraordinary in this tree indeed they go so far as to consider it as a relic of the hanging gardens and affirm that it gives out sad melancholy tones when the wind plays through its branches etc everything indeed is possible with god but that this half-stunted tree which is scarcely eighteen feet high and whose wretched stem is at most only nine inches in diameter is full three thousand years old appears to me rather too improbable the country round babylon is said to have been formerly so flourishing and fruitful that it was called the paradise of chaldea this productiveness ceased with the existence of the buildings as i had seen everything completely i rode on as far as hilla on the other side of the euphrates a most miserable bridge of forty-six boats is here thrown across the river which is four hundred and thirty feet broad planks and trunks of trees are laid from one boat to the other which move up and down at every step there is no railing at the side and the space is so narrow that two riders can scarcely pass the views along the river are very charming i found the vegetation here still rich and several mosques and handsome buildings give life to the blooming landscape in hilla i was received by a rich arab as the sun was already very near setting i was shown to a beautiful terrace instead of a room a delicious pilau roast lamb and steamed vegetables were sent to me for supper with water and sour milk the terraces here were not surrounded by any walls a circumstance which was very agreeable to me as it gave me an opportunity of observing the mode of life and customs of my neighbours in the courtyards i saw the women engaged in making bread and in the same way as at bandr abbas the men and children meanwhile spread straw mats upon the terraces and brought dishes with pilaus vegetables or some other eatables as soon as the bread was ready they began their meal the women also seated themselves and i thought that the modern arabs were sufficiently advanced in civilization to give my sex their place at the table but to my regret i saw the poor women instead of helping themselves from the dishes take straw fans to keep off the flies from the heads of their husbands they may have had their meal afterwards in the house for i did not see them eat anything either upon the terraces or in the courts they all slept upon the terraces both men and women wrapped themselves in rugs and neither the one nor the other took off any of their clothing the first of june i had ordered for this morning two fresh horses and arabs as a guard that i might proceed with some safety to the ruins of birs nimrud these ruins are situated six miles distant from hilla in the desert or plain of shinar near the euphrates upon a hill two hundred and sixty feet high built of bricks and consist of the fragments of a wall twenty-eight feet long on one side thirty feet high and on the other thirty-five the greater part of the bricks are covered with inscriptions near the wall lie several large blackish blocks which might be taken for lava and it is only on closer examination that they are found to be remains of walls it is supposed that such a change could only have been brought about by lightning people are not quite unanimous in their opinions with respect to these ruins some affirm that they are the remains of the tower of babel others that they are those of the temple of baal there is an extensive view from the top of the hill over the desert the town of hilla with its charming palm gardens and over innumerable mounds of rubbish and brickwork 
Near these ruins stands an unimportant Mahomedan chapel, which is said to be on the same spot where, according to the Old Testament, the three youths were cast into the furnace for refusing to worship idols. In the afternoon I was again in Hilla. I looked over the town, which is said to contain 26,000 inhabitants, and found it built like all oriental towns. Before the Karbala gates is to be seen the little mosque Eshems, which contains the remains of the prophet Joshua it completely resembles the sepulchre of the queen zobidi near baghdad towards evening the family of my obliging host together with some other women and children paid me a visit their natural good sense had deterred them from visiting me on the day of my arrival when they knew i was fatigued by the long ride i would willingly have excused their visit to-day also for neither the rich nor poor arabs have much idea of cleanliness they moreover would put the little dirty children into my arms or on my lap and i did not know how to relieve myself of this pleasure many of them had aleppo boils and others sore eyes and skin diseases after the women and children had left my host came he was at least clean in his dress and conducted himself with more politeness on the second of july i left hilla at sunrise and went on without stopping to the khan skandaria sixteen miles when I remained some hours, and then went the same day as far as Birzanus, sixteen miles further. About an hour after midnight I again halted and took a soldier to accompany me. We had scarcely proceeded four or five miles from the Khan when we perceived a very suspicious noise. We stopped, and the servant told me to be very quiet, so that our presence might not be detected. The soldier dismounted, and crept rather than walked in the sand to reconnoiter the dangerous spot my exhaustion was so great that although alone in the dark night on the terrible desert i began to doze upon the horse and did not wake up till the soldier returned with a cry of joy and told us that we had not fallen in with a horde of robbers but with a sheikh who in company with his followers were going to baghdad we set spurs to our horses hastened after the troop and joined them the chief greeted me by passing his hand over his forehead towards his breast and as a sign of his goodwill offered me his arms a club with an iron head covered with a number of spikes only a sheikh is allowed to carry such a weapon i remained in the sheikh's company until sunrise and then quickened my horse's pace and about eight o'clock was again seated in my chamber at baghdad after having in the short space of three days and a half ridden one hundred and thirty-two miles and walked about a great deal the distance from baghdad to hilla is considered to be sixty miles and from hilla to birs nimrud six i had now seen everything in and around baghdad and was desirous of starting on my journey towards isfahan just at this time the persian prince ilhani ala kuli mirza sent me a letter informing me that he had received very bad news from his native country the governor of isfahan had been murdered and the whole province was in a state of revolt it was therefore impossible to enter persia by this route i decided in this case to go as far as mosul and there determine my further course according to circumstances before concluding my account of baghdad i must state that at first i was greatly afraid of scorpions as i had heard that there were great numbers there but i never saw one either in the sardabs or on the terraces and during my stay of four weeks only found one in the court End of section thirty two